Welcome to episode 112 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, create the Outdoor Innovators episode. If you've ever had a great idea for a piece of outdoor gear, we'll share some stories today that will help to inspire you to take the next step. This episode will feature the creative minds behind some up-and-coming outdoor gear companies. Then, on our top five list, you'll learn the basic steps for how to coax more great ideas out of your head and turn those ideas into the next big thing. All this, and that's about it. Today, on the first 40 miles. For today's episode, we are veering way off the trail. And what we did was we had some really great conversations with three outdoor innovators that we admire. And we picked their brains and got some really great information that we wanted to share with our first 40 milers about how to take an idea in your head and turn it into something that you can start testing out on the trail. So let's jump right in with our interviews. Our first interview is with Shelly from Eclo, and I love the way that she talks about how she came up with her ideas. Shelly, can you tell us a little bit about Eclo and what Eclo makes for outdoorists? So Eclo, our name is the acronym for our tagline, Escape Civilization, Live Outdoors. We just wanted to help ourselves and others get back outdoors. So we make survival kits and high-performance outdoor gear. I believe that in nature, it shouldn't be like a fashion show. It shouldn't be something where you're having to lug along a bunch of different things. It should be simple yet sophisticated in that the simplest version can also create uh, a way for you to innovate in your own ways. So Shelly, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. My husband, John, and I are both military brats. We are dads first in the Air Force, and we ended up living on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And we both fell in love with each other. And there on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, there's a lot of um, waterways. And one of my husband's favorites that he introduced me to was getting out to Deer Island. And it's about a quarter of a mile swim off the coast of Biloxi. So you have to plan very well your your swim based on the tide and where you're going to land based on the current on the island. So having to get out there that way, having the ultralight gear that stays dry and doesn't slow you down is absolute necessity. So those are the, some of the experience that led to us thinking of how we're going to create these products. We now live on the Atlantic coast, which is Brunswick, Georgia, and we have a family of six. So um, things have evolved quite slowly for, for us, but we're getting there. When I started making camping gear, 
it was when I was in college and I had an idea for a certain piece of gear and I couldn't find it in stores. I couldn't find it online. So I decided to go ahead and make one. And the way I, I did this was I just bought the material and I made one for myself and a few extras. And I was surprised that when I put it online and sold it, that they sold fairly quickly. And um, it led to me end up making custom gear, which I discovered created some issues. Uh, one of which was that it took so long to make, it would affect the cost. So I just couldn't make it work at the time. Also, I had a couple of additions to the family that led to us, well, me taking a break from developing anything else. My husband works as an economic developer and through his job, he works with a lot of successful startup companies. And through these businesses, he's noticed that one thing about them was that they didn't wait until they had the money or enough time to really start their business. They just went out there and did it. So that's what I did. I just um, started with my simpler products and kept working and trying to figure out the kinks and work through that. And so I simply release new products as they're developed and I put them on online. So do you have a backlog of all these creative ideas that you're just like so excited to put out there, but you kind of have to pace yourself a little bit? Yes, very much. My husband is a guinea pig. <laughs> as well as our children, we are um, developing some new products and we're using them. Our children love the outdoors, and so it's easy to get them to be a part of this. So when you have an idea for a product, how do you even know where to start in terms of materials? Like, how do you know what's even out there, what's available? Um, well, you're a good source that we have in modern times that is wonderful is the internet, being able to look things up and, and research and have the drive to read and read and read. And then also trade shows and forums as well, being able to hear what other people have experienced with different materials and things. Blogs are great. There's people that have put out some, some amazing blogs that use products for things that I wouldn't have be able to do because I'm not able to go to South America and trek for long periods of time at this situation I'm in life. So I can read their experiences and say, okay, this has worked great for them and then develop it that way. It's also trial and error, getting a product, trying to use it and discovering it's not what I thought it was. So Shelly, what kind of advice would you have for outdoor innovators? You know, these people who spend a lot of time outdoors, they go backpacking and they come home with a great idea or a whole notebook full of ideas that they want to try and then perhaps turn into a product. We live in a time like no other. Anyone can start a business and enter the market and all the new startups can't compete on a price or the volume that big companies can, they can easily compete in innovation. The next outdoor innovator that we'll talk to today is Jamie from Matador, and she has a lot of experience with product design. Can you tell us a little bit about Matador and your role in the company and maybe um, kind of the vision behind Matador? For sure. We're um, a pretty new company and we specialize in packable outdoor adventure gear. And the company actually started in 2014 
a friend of mine, Chris Clearman, started it and was a product designer at the time in San Francisco. We were both living there and uh, it came about, it's kind of a funny story. We were in a city park in San Francisco and all these people were sitting on their coats and Chris was like, man, we need to like make this product that we can sit on outside. And uh, so we made a prototype of the product and used it ourselves for a year. And some friends really wanted some. And we thought, well, maybe we should bring this to the world. And so that's where Matador started. I've been here since the beginning. And uh, just this last year, we moved to Boulder, Colorado, hired some people. And, you know, we're, we're doing great. We both come from the tech industry. So usually you're solving a problem. Uh, that's quite apparent with a tech solution. And in the outdoor industry, people are really inventive. They've solved their own problems for years and years, and they make their own gear, and they do things that they don't even realize that they're doing. So in design, there's something called ethnographic research. And what we do is we go out there and we use products and we make solutions, but we pay attention to what we're doing, and we watch other people and we ask them questions. And what we find is that people, without even realizing it, they've come across a problem and solved it. And so a lot of times there's a product solution hidden in there, and that's the exact case with the pocket blanket. Um, people have been sitting on their coats forever or looking for a rock or a log, and no one really thought that was an issue. And there's a real product there. There's a product solution. And so being product designers, we knew that if we found a problem, if we can identify a good problem, we can come up with something to, to do that. And uh, the pocket blanket was really special because... It's a soft good product. So typically in tech, you're dealing with um, a lot of manufacturing, a lot of plastic molding, and things like that have a lot of startup costs. But with um, soft goods, we were able to make a prototype with just a sewing machine. And it's the same in manufacturing. They just need sewing machines and labor to produce the product. So there was no startup cost, which allowed us to really bootstrap the company from the beginning. And um, it's <laughs> something that a lot of companies in San Francisco don't have the, the luxury of doing here. In Silicon Valley, you have a lot of people that are funding you, and you have to really stay on top of your funding. You don't have a lot of liberty because you have other people's money you're responsible for. By being self-funded and being soft goods, we can innovate solutions and find problems and produce products without any upfront cost. So that's, that's the magic. So then how did things explode from there? Did you have a team assembled by that point and people who were bouncing ideas off of each other and... Like, what was it like after you had so much success with the blanket? The success with the blanket really shocked us, actually. The online blogs took a hold of it. And at the time, we had a really small order out. And we were packing and shipping them ourselves from this little tiny room in, in a house in the city. And um, it, it went viral. And we sold out almost immediately. And it became very apparent that we needed to, to basically build for success. It's, it's really hard to invest money in something when it's a new idea. But if you actually want to be successful, you have to anticipate being successful. And it's a hard step to take. But at that point, we had to you know, find some distribution and up our manufacturing capabilities. So we grew from there. But it was, it was still just Chris and I for a long time, for that first year anyway. And then this past year, uh, we, we both had day jobs at the time. We were moonlighting, more or less. Oh, wow. Um, and then we thought, well, you know, this is getting big. Uh, we launched the uh, Free Rain 24, the waterproof backpack, and it also did extremely well. And at that point, we sort of realized that this could be something big and this could be something special. And uh, we decided to, to quit our day jobs and move from the Bay Area to Boulder, Colorado, which is sort of a good mecca for outdoor activity, but also has a lot of resources for it. There's um, good fabric stores and things like that where we can get the materials to prototype with. 
And uh, we've since then found two really passionate people that we've hired. So we're this, you know, vibrant team of four right now. And uh, it's hard to grow, but it's that idea, again, that you have to anticipate your success and you have to really take those risks in order for there to be an opportunity for there to be success. So, Jamie, how much of a role did your degree in product design play in your ability to design products? The degree itself is pretty helpful, but really anyone can can start a company and be an entrepreneur. There's no good education for that. Uh, you, everyone pretty much starts blind and you just got to get out there and figure it out. But the, the design degree, what that enabled us to do is understand the prototyping process and the way that you communicate to get things mass produced. So that's a really big step for a lot of people is, so I have one here that I made and this is great. And then how do I build a relationship with a manufacturing company that can make this happen. And there are companies in the United States that specialize in this, and you can you can hire it out, or you can hire someone that works as a liaison with a factory over in China, for example. But as industrial designers, we already had relationships with manufacturing companies that we could leverage in order to get things produced, which meant that we had a lower startup cost. So again, it's that's how we grew, but it's not the only way to do it if your expertise is more in marketing then you don't have to pay for those services. You can use your funds in other ways. It's it's really exciting to be so passionate about something and spend so much time and energy making it perfect and then being able to share that with everyone so easily, especially with web sales and web blogs that have gotten so popular. Uh, it's, it's really a blast. It's like you get to share what you love with the world. Well, Jamie, do you have any last words of advice for people who may be interested in going out there and creating something that would benefit outdoorists? My dad gave me this piece of advice one time. He said, if you want to do something, then you have to go out there and do it yourself. And if you want somebody else to do something for you, then you need to ask them to do it for you because people will never assume that they can help you do something. And that's actually... One of the biggest contributors, like I think about that all the time, because I'm like, I just don't know how to do this. And I think, well, I know someone that does, and all I need to do is ask them. And people are really willing to help. And all the people out there that have started companies, they, they have to lean on each other because there's, there's no book or guidelines to getting it done. And our last guest today is Taylor from NoZip, and he has some really great insight on product testing. Can you tell us a little bit about NoZip and the idea behind this product that you've created? Well, thanks for having me on the show first. And uh, yeah, NoZip is, we're a sleeping bag company that launched via crowdfunding. And our philosophy is really just to make hassle-free gear. We think that the more time you spend out in nature and the less time you spend hassling with gear, the better. So the NoZip sleeping bag uh, came out of scratching my own itch with an epic zipper struggle. Um, so the NoZip sleeping bag is basically a sleeping bag that closes using magnets instead of zippers. So it also comes with a few unique features uh, besides the magnet. It's also the only sleeping bag that has a quickly expanding shape and almost works kind of like a camping quilt as well. So it dumps heat very well and uh, keeps you warm down to 15 degrees. So this is a fantastic idea that must have just been so much fun to work on. Can you tell us a little bit about the prototyping process? Sure. The prototyping process kind of started with just design. So putting pen to paper and figuring out how I wanted everything to line up. After that, I borrowed my mother's sewing machine (laughs) and started learning how to sew via YouTube. Um, (laughs) 
So I, I kind of figured out how I wanted the magnets doing it just by myself. And eventually I outran my YouTube learned sewing skills. So I went to makersrow.com and they have a huge selection of US-based factories um, and, and laborers. So basically I used the fashion industry of Los Angeles and hired and had a woman help me uh, sew together our first prototype. And I just kind of stood over her shoulder and she was nice enough to uh, take directions and, you know, got the first prototype cut. And then uh, from there, we did probably eight to 10 more revisions um, in the US. And then when we eventually went to China, we did another probably three or four prototypes over there as well. So I'm trying to imagine you in your mom's living room with this old mummy bag and a pair of scissors, feathers flying everywhere and magnets all over the place. What did that look like? Like, what was that moment where you were like, okay, we're going to try this out for the first time and see if it works. Yeah, there there was a funny picture my wife took. Um, it was a football Sunday, so probably about two years ago. So I was watching football and I had a beer and I had my mom's sewing machine and I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn how to do this. So I grabbed the sewing machine and just started doing everything. And it was just hopeless. Like I didn't know about the bobbin, the thing that feeds the sewing thread underneath. I didn't know anything about it. So the first first attempt was uh, very unsuccessful. And then after watching enough videos, I, I kind of got more of a hang of it. And then I'm, I sewed together an old blanket. And that's as far as I got. And it, it at least proved the point, you know, like, oh, hey, this stays closed enough, you know, when you move your arms that it was okay. So it was, it was definitely a, uh, a grimace to get through. But, you know, it, it was a Sunday. I didn't have much to do. So it was fun to just tackle a new task. Yeah. And then were you able to take these prototype bags out on trips or did you give them to friends to take on trips and kind of what was the feedback process like? Yeah. So definitely started with myself. You know, I slept in the first prototype and it was obvious, you know, the first prototype needed upgrades. It was more, you know, it it just wasn't a good prototype, but it, it proved the idea. So once I got to, I think, the third prototype, we were really on solid foundation. And that's when I started sending it with friends, um, using it myself, showing it to people that I trust and getting their feedback. The problem with with the, all that is everybody's so nice. So you always get positive <laughs> feedback, yeah. even though it might not always be positive. So um, at least I was very encouraged, which is great. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with with all that. And, you know, even with reviews coming back from from customers, you know, I think people are, are happily invested in it. It's an interesting journey, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Can you give us an idea of the timeline? So what were the, what were the major milestones? And when did they happen along that two year path? So the major milestones were really first identifying the problem that I wanted to solve. So that that I had an epic zipper struggle with a $300 sleeping bag. And I just, <laughs> you know, typical, uh, there's got to be a better way infomercial type thing. Um, so after that, I just it kind of stuck in my brain on how I wanted to eliminate zippers in sleeping bags, but still stay cozy. So I wrestled with that for a while. And then actually I was on a walk at work and the idea struck. Uh, why not use magnets and use a big overlapping torso baffle to keep the drafts out? So as soon as I put pen to paper, it's almost exclusively the design that I did two years ago is the design we have now. So from then, it took probably another year to prototype because, you know, 
basically you want to turn over prototypes just to improve as, as fast as you can. So once I did the prototype, uh, it took about a year to perfect that to where I was happy with something, taking it to production. Then what I did was I launched a Kickstarter campaign, which is a really great way to see if people are willing to actually vote with their dollars. And it's a very low cost. You don't have to invest in a huge manufacturing run. You can put it out there with uh, minimal effort. I mean, you still want to have a nice Kickstarter page and everything, but you can actually get feedback right away from people that aren't your friends and family who are going to be really nice to you. So, um, so we completed our Kickstarter campaign in March. Uh, we delivered our bags about three or four months later, and now our website's up and running and we get bags in stock. So Taylor, now that you've created this dream sleeping bag, you know, one that you don't have to wrestle with, um, and people are giving you great feedback, what is next, either for the No Zip sleeping bag or just your own creative ventures? What's what's on the horizon? Well, I think with the sleeping bag, I think I got it pretty well. So the what I want to continue with is launching more more products with lower fill power and more fill power, so that you know we can get everybody from Alaska to Florida in a sleeping bag. So I can cover the breadth of what people like to do camping. Um, and then I think that in products, if you look at it analytically, there's always room for improvement. Um, I don't know if there's a perfect product out there. Um, there's there's some that are probably pretty awesome, but uh, I think what's next for, for No Zip is probably doing a camping quilt. Going ultralight is being really, really popular, and I think that uh, that's probably the next product we're launching. Um, I was actually doing drawings yesterday on uh, on the first prototype. So I'm going to send that over to our prototypers in China and uh, see if I can get that back in a couple weeks and then uh, hopefully launch another Kickstarter um, early next year. Well, can you give our listeners any advice for if they're interested in creating their own product or if they kind of have this idea for a tweak to a product, where can they start and what kind of um, inspiration can you give them? So I think for advice, I would I would definitely recommend makersrow.com and kickstarter.com or or indiegogo any of the crowdfunding sites if you have an idea I, I think you can as long as you can draw it and speak to another person and have them build it for you um, you can get prototypes done for maybe a couple hundred bucks you know and see if it actually works and then if your prototype you think is good and people are responsive then i would suggest Taking it to Kickstarters, you know, invest maybe five hundred to a thousand dollars on a Kickstarter campaign and see if people respond. And if people respond, that's real money, and they'll give you time to to produce it and perfect it and get a real, real refined product by the time you get to consumers. I mean, really, the the best piece of advice is just go for it. Just give it a try. There's nothing nothing stopping you. Well, we want to thank Shelley, Jamie, and Taylor for talking with us and sharing some of that behind the scenes, you know, under the hood stuff about coming up with uh, ideas and designs for new outdoor products and then actually getting them to the market where people can benefit from them and use them. And we've put together today's top five list to take you through the process of becoming an outdoor innovator. But you may be wondering, why am I listening to this? I'm a new backpacker. I've just taken my first trip, maybe my second trip. And you're telling me that I can come up with ideas for new backpacking products, new outdoor gear? Like, I've barely left my front porch. <laughs> you know, I've hit one trail. I've spent one night uh, out in the woods. What would qualify me to create a new backpacking product? 
I think that's exactly what qualifies new backpackers to create new backpacking products or tweaks to existing products. It's that fresh perspective. One of the definitions of creativity that I love is that it's putting together two things that have not been put together before. And when you've been doing something for a long time, so you're kind of an expert in that area, then you're very specialized in what you do. And you've been working with the same things over and over and the same ideas and the same experiences. And, and you're kind of in that silo that you work in. Well, when you're new to something, so you're new to backpacking, you haven't done much before, then you bring a totally different set of experiences to backpacking that the experts don't bring to backpacking. You bring new background, new interests, new talents. You might have a background in something totally unrelated to backpacking, that it's just a field that's rich for creativity because you might bring some idea with you that the people who are experts in backpacking have never even thought of because they haven't been where you've been. And that's exactly why if you don't think of yourself as an outdoor innovator, you probably should think again. And for today's top five list, we have the top five steps to become an outdoor innovator. So the number one step to becoming an outdoor innovator is to spend time outdoors. We talked in a recent episode about the power of just going on a 15-minute walk, just getting outside and having that creative rush come to you. You get these new ideas because you are stepping, literally stepping outside of your own box, your home, your office, whatever, and you're going outside where there are no walls and there are no limits. So being outdoors is the most important step to becoming an outdoor innovator. This is really a double-faceted concept. One reason to spend time outdoors is because of the power of nature and the effect that it has on your creativity. And that would apply to becoming any kind of innovator. So whether it's an outdoor innovator or whether it's a technology innovator or a healthcare innovator or anybody, spending time outside gets you connected with nature and opens up that floodgate of creativity. But then your ideas really need to be tested. And so you've got to just take your idea out where it's going to be used and use it over and over and refine it. So you may have these great creative ideas, but you also may have blind spots because you're new to the outdoors. So you need to be out there and gaining that experience in the outdoors and just, you know, getting familiar with the outdoors. That's going to lead to your ability to take those creative ideas and actually see how they might apply, you know, kind of open up those blind spots so you can really see what's needed. The number two step to becoming an outdoor innovator is to identify needs. And as you spend time on the trail, you'll run into some of these needs and you'll have the opportunity to ask those questions like, how can I make this process or this product or this experience even better? or more reliable, or faster, or safer, or more adaptable, or cleaner, or more environmentally responsible. So I think the cool thing is that this doesn't just apply to products. You know, maybe you don't see yourself as someone who's an outdoor innovator who's going to create, you know, the next lightweight, durable material to use in tents. But 
this could apply to learning skills. So being an outdoor innovator could apply to all of those skills that you need to develop as you continue to spend time outdoors. Or to teaching those skills to others. Oh, yeah. And so if you're new to backpacking, you see those needs that others have maybe solved for themselves. You know, they solved it for themselves so long ago that they forgot that it was even a need. Yeah, definitely. And in this episode, I think we have put a lot of focus on outdoor innovation as it applies to products. But this list is definitely, um, it can be applied to products or to skills or, like you said, to people, to experiences, for sure. The number three step to becoming an outdoor innovator is to brainstorm ideas. The idea of brainstorming was invented by Alex Osborne in 1938 and was put into his book called Applied Imagination. So the idea behind brainstorming is that you're going for quantity of ideas, just as many as you can generate to solve this this problem. Another tenet of quality brainstorming is withholding criticism. You don't want to shoot down any idea until you're ready to go on to the next step. Another important aspect is welcoming wild ideas. That one wild idea leads you to some other idea that actually is doable. Right. It spurs other ideas that are useful. (laughs) And every once in a while, that that wild idea, you stop for a moment and you go, wait a minute, we could do that. We could totally do that. (laughs) Awesome. And then the last part of brainstorming is combining and improving ideas, kind of the idea of One plus one equals three. The number four step to becoming an outdoor innovator is to sketch and create a prototype. This is the part really where you're just putting those pieces together to see how they work. And then later on in the process, much later, you can actually source the materials and find out, kind of get deeper into that process. But really with a prototype, you just make a handful or maybe even just one for you to test out and get it out on the trail as soon as possible. And you are talking about gear, but this applies to, I mean, say you were going to put together a book or a YouTube video that was going to teach people something. You know, same idea. You can put together that quick prototype. It's rough around the edges. It doesn't have all the polish that a final product would have, but it proves the concept and allows you to then go get feedback. And then the number five step to become an outdoor innovator is to test, test, and test, and then have your friends test. And I think friends will only be as honest as you allow them to be. So in this step, it's critical to learn how to ask the right questions. So don't ask your friends, so how did you like the pack? How did you like the tent that you designed? Get specific, get really, really, really specific. Like, tell me about the placement of the zippers or what issues did you have with accessing your gear? What was the pack's greatest weakness or strength? Where were the pressure points? What do you think is the thing that people are going to complain about most on Amazon reviews? You know, what, what is, what's the truth? And you have to learn to ask the right questions in order to get honest answers. Those blanket questions like, oh, how was it? Those are the worst because how is a person supposed to respond? I mean, it's like when you stay at your in-law's house and they say, how did you sleep last night? (laughs) And you have to say, oh, it was great. I slept wonderfully. When really you want to say, 
Uh, I didn't sleep in my own bed and the dog was barking and you guys keep your home way too cold. I mean, you just can't say stuff like that. So ask the right questions and you'll get honest answers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> your parents don't have a dog that barks and they don't keep the house too cold. <laughs> uh, oh, I see. You're throwing in a few this things is the to, hypothetical, uh, to hypotheticalize it. The okay. hypothetical in-laws, right. right. <laughs> yeah, okay. And as we've said, this doesn't just apply to gear that you're making. We went through this process with Trail Fuel, the cookbook that we came out with last month. Same kind of thing. We had these recipes. And Heather, you'd done a lot of testing yourself with those recipes, made those adjustments and, you know, getting them to be as simple and easy as possible. But ultimately, they needed to be tested by others as well to see if they actually worked for them, you know, because it's easy to make something that just works for yourself and then others just can't figure it out. And so when we shared the recipes with uh, the Facebook group that we put together to, to help prepare the book, it, it wasn't just, oh, how do you like this recipe? Now, we got feedback like that, and, and we learned which recipes they liked the most. But more importantly was the specific feedback. You know, when you made this recipe, what worked and what didn't? What did you add? What kind of tweaks did you make? Uh, where were the instructions unclear? It was stuff like that that gave us just really valuable feedback to make the recipes doable for everyone who was going to try them. Well, because Josh and I are wild and crazy rule breakers, we have yeah, sure. a number six today. And I think this is such a critical aspect of creativity. And that is be willing to let your idea go. I have never understood the the loyalty or the honor of a captain going down with his ship. I mean, I don't know. That It's such a romantic idea. You know, he stayed with his ship. But why? Do you understand that idea? I mean, I assume there are lifeboats for everyone. Well, I do have an old car that I've held on to for a lot of years <laughs> sitting in our garage. And so I can kind of relate that way. <laughs> I think with this analogy, don't be the captain that goes down with the ship. Let your idea go. If it's dragging you down, if you've already sunk so much money or time or have sacrificed family relationships in pursuing this idea and you're trying to get it off the ground and it's just dragging you down, get on the lifeboat and row yourself back home. There's no idea that's worth sacrificing human relationships for. Here's the thing. When you only have one idea, then you really hold on to it. Yeah. And you you get this sense that ideas are super valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, you've heard people that are like, oh, I have this idea for a thing and, and I'm keeping it really quiet so that no one else will yeah. be able to copy my idea. And then years later, you you know, someone comes out with a product and then that person is like, oh, I had that idea. Yeah. You know, I had that idea 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you know, the ideas themselves are cheap with the right brainstorming and, and other tactics like that. You can come up with a ton of ideas. So, yeah, be willing to move on and, and pick up the next idea and, and play with it. Oh, yeah. Ideas are floating all around, free for the taking. Well, we hope this episode today has inspired you to get outside, to find ways to improve your experience, and to become an outdoor innovator, to really harness that creativity and move forward with it. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we have some homework for you. And that is 
to create your own backpack hack of the week. So go for it. <laughs> We're not going to give you a backpack hack today. Instead, we want you to share your backpack hack with each other. If you've got a great backpack hack, head over to Facebook or Twitter and share it with other First 40 Milers. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Raymond Inman. He said, if you are seeking creative ideas, go out walking. Angels whisper to a man when he goes for a walk. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a recent backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Next outdoor interview. No, yeah? Uh huh. Okay. Sure. And before we jump into our top five list today, Josh has something he wants to say that's not in the <laughs> show notes. <laughs>